Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Hackers and HackZen podcast. You're about to join Erica, Jax, and John for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. hope that you are all having an amazing week. Today, we're joined by our special guest, Jonathan Arena. He is the president and chief information officer of a technology company. He's an adjunct professor at Wilmington University, a published author, an advisory board member, and a mentor. He's been in the tech space for 25 or so years, so we are really excited to hear from him today. John, before we dive into our questions and topics today, can you just take a few minutes to share a little bit about your background and how you got into the tech sector? Sure. So um, as you mentioned, I I currently run a a consulting firm. uh, It's kind of fractional CIO type services at this point. Uh, But prior to this, um, I worked in the really in the managed services world for the better part of 25 years. I worked in internet service providers, uh, VARs, shared web hosting companies, uh, co-location facilities, data centers, uh, public and private cloud service providers. So I've definitely been in the that service provider world for my uh, entire career. I've worked with you know the smallest of small businesses all the way up to Fortune 5 companies and pretty much everyone in between <laughs> um, so, uh, during the course of my career. And, and uh yeah, so that's that's uh, you know that's kind of been my career. I started doing like dial-up tech support. I was the guy you would call when you couldn't connect your your you know fifty-six k modem to the internet, right? Uh, so so that, I kind of got my start there and uh, worked my way into like web design and just kind of had a really interesting progression of experience and kind of went into the infrastructure world and, and kind of learned a little, little bit more about like server management and systems administration and and um, after. Going from there, you know, I, I ended up um, kind of really getting interested in in uh, you know cybersecurity and information security. Uh, that was that was something that I kind of just said, okay, this is really neat. It's just kind of different, and it was really in the service provider world. Uh, you know, the early two thousands to even mid two thousand, it was still a wild west kind of environment. You know, nobody was talking about security in, in service providers. It was kind of an afterthought, or you know, because the banks were all doing stuff on their own in their own data centers, same thing with hospitals, same things with government, they were all in their own data centers. And then it wasn't until really that convergence of saying, hey, let's do this, let's do all this stuff in the cloud. Did really uh, security become a front and center topic for a service provider? So it was kind of a little bit of a a lag for for all the uh, different, uh, uh, well, for service providers compared to like, you know, financial and and, uh, and government and other other, uh, key industries there, so. Uh, that answer your question. <laughs> uh, and we were like, wow, you've done so much, John. And I knew a lot about this because we, you and I had connected. So I was really excited to have you on the show. And the other piece that I want to kind of dig into a little bit more on your background is the published author side. Uh, I just published my first book two weeks ago. Awesome. Yeah, super exciting. A lot of work. So whenever anybody asks me, like, um, you know, how was it? I'm like, who? Uh, it took eight months, a lot of, lot of time, a lot of writing, a lot of edits, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, but it was fun. It was really, I loved it. I love the books. And it's 
It's really focused on like getting into the industry. But your book I want to talk about is you published a book and your book is about cybersecurity essentials for small businesses. And I'm a small business owner, so I I love what your book is about. Can you share what inspired you to write this book? So what I kind of found was that everybody, um, you know, I, I kept talking to them and they kept saying, look, there's plenty of tools to help small businesses. Nobody nobody cares about helping small businesses with their cybersecurity issues. Um, you know, they, they just go buy a tool off the shelf. Well, the problem is that there's so many tools out there. Most small business owners are not IT professionals. And so they didn't know even where to begin. So I looked at it and said, okay, let's build them a guide that says, here's the things you need to do to significantly reduce your risk of becoming a casualty of a cyber attack. And the, the thing that always kind of got me was, I was like, okay, most of the things that, that they need to do are, are real table stakes items and they don't really cost a lot of money either. And so that's why I put them in, uh, you know, into writing. And honestly, the book was at first, it was kind of an accident. Originally I was just trying to write up kind of a, a whole dissertation almost of, of cybersecurity and it turned into the book. So, um, you know, four or five drafts later, I had a mentor that actually said to me, he goes, he goes so this is great. What are you going to do with all this, this material? And I said, oh, I'm not really sure. He said, why don't you turn it into a book? So here it is. So, <laughs> so I created the book, but it's, it's, you know, again, it now is, is something that uh, provides a lot of value to small business owners and, and says to them, look, you don't need to spend, you know, thousands or millions of dollars on, you know, all the different high-end equipment that the enterprises and, and government and such are using. Yes, you should do those if you have the money, but at the end of the day, you're trying to not be the tallest blade of grass here. So how do we reduce your risk by making sure you're doing the best practices? So things like, you know, managing, having good password management, having good um, uh, up patch management on your computers, you know, uh, making sure that your users uh, are properly trained and, and such. Those types of kind of table stakes things that, you know, everybody in the in the industry is like, yeah, no kidding. That's, that's a no-brainer type stuff. But when you're a small business owner who's not focused on this stuff, that is, that, that's, that's uncharted territory for them. So your book, does it provide a framework for these smaller organizations? Because like you said, it can be really overwhelming. And especially with all of the breaches that we're having and, there, there's a lot of overwhelm with now you've got the CMMC, the cybersecurity maturity model framework that's being implemented for third-party vendors that are working in the DOD space. And I can tell you from reaching out to friends that have companies that work in the DOD space, they're pulling out the hair because it can be, it's really overwhelming. It's really convoluted. You've got different frameworks to work with. So how, what is your approach in presenting a solution for these smaller organizations where they don't have to have a high overhead cost and it's it's simplified for them to know what are the basics that I need to succeed. Right. So the book uh, or my book really talks about and it doesn't actually necessarily go into CMMC specifically, but I would say that the book covers kind of level one for CMMC. It's like, here's the table stakes things. Now, remember when you're dealing with CMMC as, as most of the, or actually everybody that's dealing with Department of Defense, they know that if you're the, you know, I don't know, like the, the, the really big boys, the defense contractors that everybody knows about, starting from them all the way down to the, you know, the guy that mows the lawn at the Pentagon, everybody has to go through CMMC, right? So, so you have to have some level of, you know, that guy that's mowing the lawn, he just goes through level one and he's good, right? But, but if you're most average sized businesses, my, from what I'm, my understanding is you're going to go through that level three assessment and then the big boys are going to go through the four and fives. Uh, and, and I think that's where 
um, you know, you start getting into the, the really high end stuff because they're dealing with real sensitive and, and you know, bleeding edge type stuff and with the with the defense uh, you know side of business. That's good, but you know, look if you're doing the if you're doing the basics, which is what the book talks about, um, that basic framework. It's, it's look, it's it's you know those those kind of table stakes things again. Those are what's um, uh, getting uh, getting you on the right path to ensuring that your business has cybersecurity. Awesome. Um, John, I have to say, I loved the quote that you gave the analogy about being the tall, not being the tallest blade of grass. That's <laughs> really good. It's really good. I, I, I thought about it for a second. I was like, yeah, you know, that that's, that's really fair. Specifically when we're thinking about budgets and the scalability of these organizations and, you know, their risk management approach to tackling all of their, you know, their business needs and tying those back to their objectives. Right. Um, but I am going to pivot just a little bit. So I know that you're an adjunct professor, which I think is absolutely amazing that you're using, um, you know, this to give back to the community and share your wealth of knowledge as you are such a well-balanced, um, professional having worked in help desk and in so many different domains. And, and here you are today. I mean, you have so much to give back. Um, and I know that you're teaching a lot of different disciplines as well as part of um, your professor duties. So I really just wanted to ask about your thoughts on certifications versus degrees, since I do see that you have both. Yes. So I will tell you the same thing that I tell my students. Um, so I go in, I teach undergrad uh, for at Wilmington University, as I mentioned, um, really, uh, you know, it's a, it's a school that is, uh, it caters to working adults is, is a way to think about that. So these, most of these people have full-time jobs are trying to get uh, their, their foot into the industry. And so they want to, uh, whether, you know, it's, it's technology, which is what, you know, this college of technology I teach at, or they also do nursing education, all the other, you know, major degree programs that most schools have. But um, what, I always tell these students as I go, it's important to have the four-year degree. You need to have that. Uh, having that bachelor's degree, you know, as, as my father used to tell me, you gotta have that piece of paper. You know, it's important to have that. It's good to get be well-rounded with that uh, uh, that degree, um, you know. But just for anybody to even consider, it. I mean, I can tell you that I, I've seen plenty of. Uh, positions out there that they, if you don't have a bachelor's degree, they don't even look at. It doesn't matter what what. Uh, you know, uh, certifications or whatever you have. So I think the degree is important. That being said, I also think having a uh, approach to lifelong education is extremely important. And this is what I tell my students. I go, get your bachelor's degree. After you have your bachelor's degree, you need to start focusing on getting certifications. And, and I say, if you're in a technology discipline, you should be focusing on at least one a year. I said, you know, if, if you're just getting started, go get an A-plus certification. And then next year, go get a, you know, a CCNA or something like that. Or, you know, and then after that, you know, after a few years, go get your, you know, your, um, you know, once you start realizing what you're doing, maybe you want to learn more about uh, information technology frameworks. So go get an ITIL certification. Or, you know, later on, go if you want to go become an auditor, which I think is, you know, an area that's really underserved right now become you know become a certified information security auditor a cisa you know there's there's a lot of opportunity there i tell my students all the time i go, I go if you're not the most technical person in the room but you at least understand technology and you have a a, a, a key for you know if you have an eye for process being a cisa is a meal ticket right now i mean there's plenty of you know data privacy laws coming out there's uh, you know there's obviously like cmmc like we talked about there's other uh regulations uh you know that you have to adhere to uh, PCI and high trust for HIPAA and you know, all the other ones that are out there, you know, 
there are plenty of opportunities for, for good auditing people that aren't originating from the financial world, if that makes sense. So to kind of answer your question, uh, you know, in a, short, in a shorter version, they're both important. You need to always continue to learn. And I always tell, I told my employees this, I told my students this, if you're not learning and growing every single day, you are not doing your job in the IT and IS world. You're absolutely correct, John, on the education side, because this industry, you have to have a ferocious desire to learn or you're going to fall behind. And what I've realized, even through myself, I'm in grad school right now, and I've, I've not only changed my degree, but I actually even changed universities because of the specific degree plan that I wanted to go into. And I find it very interesting because I started in 2008 when it was called IT, and I've, I've kind of gone through a technical side going into cyber threat intel, and I did the coding, and I and now where I'm at today is in risk management. I actually really enjoy it. I am learning about CMMC and the different frameworks, and I'm actually diving more into CMMC. And I I find it really interesting because there's a lot of there's a lot of universities and certifications that are there's a lot more options out there for students. So I'm really curious, what are, being a professor, what are the common career paths that you're seeing your students are starting to take? Are you seeing it still be like, they're still going technical because they're, all they realize is that because of the TV shows is penetration testing and I want to be a hacker? Or are they starting to see that there's other avenues such as risk management to be able to go down? Well, there's definitely, um, there's definitely interest or when everybody goes into this class, they all, they all say, I want to be a, a video game programmer. I'm like, all right, let me time to, time to open your eyes. <laughs> so I up, open them uh, up to other opportunities. And, and one of the big things I really talk about is risk management. I, I said, look, cybersecurity is all about risk. And so, yeah, there's the, the super technical route. You can become a pen tester. You can be a, you know, a, a vuln scanner. You can be a threat hunter, whatever, you know, red team, blue team, whatever you want to call it. You, know, you can do all that type of stuff. And, there, and there's plenty of opportunity for that. But the risk aspect and the business aspect of, uh, of cybersecurity and, and, and information technology in general is extremely important. So, so I try and guide uh, individuals down that path as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really, uh, you know, it's, it's one of my jobs that I look at as a professor, uh, especially to undergrad students, is letting them know what other options are available to them. It's not just go be a video game program. I can tell you nine out of 10 of the people that sign up for the program, their first, uh, they're coming into the first class uh, I teach like uh, one of the many classes I teach is like computer operations and hardware, which is like, this is a hard drive and this is memory and, you know, like really basic stuff like that. And we're, we're talking <laughs> through the class and, and nine out of 10 of them are like, Oh, I want to be a video game program. I'm like, all right, we're going to change that because well, you know, look, the, there's, there's a line a mile long for video game programmers, but there's not that much of a need. The need is under, you know, cybersecurity or threat or, you know, all the other aspects that are out there. So you know, definitely opening their eyes is, is a, a key part of my, my uh, role, in my opinion. John, I think that is amazing guidance to provide uh, your students. As somebody who did not receive that kind of guidance, uh, I definitely stumbled into that. What do I do with my degree? What do I do in cyber? I knew I wanted to be in cyber, but I didn't know the plethora of options available to me. And you're totally right. I mean, if you take a if you take a hardware class, like sure, you can learn system components. You can learn the ins and outs of routers, switches, all these hardware components. But let's talk, let's talk real talk here. Are you going to know exactly what to do with that information to make a living? No, you don't know how to apply those skills that you've learned and right. make it into an actual career. So I think that that's where, uh, you know, your guidance comes in handy. And I definitely commend you for that. And 
I'm, I'm sure your students do too. I am going to take a little bit of a pivot here just because I love risk management as well. And I wanna dive into a little bit more about the types of uh, pitfalls that you're seeing in the industry when it comes to risk management. I think this is a unique question for you because based on your perspective, you've worked with businesses of different sizes and scales. Um, and let's be honest, risk management is done a plethora of different ways. So I wanna kind of dive into, are there any trends or common pitfalls that you've been seeing in the industry, um, depending on size or, you know, what the business actually does? So I think most of the larger enterprises out there today, I think they've got it. I think you know, when it comes down to understanding that they need to be taking necessary steps to protect their end, their end users data. I think that they will, and they're also their intellectual property and such. I think that's uh, well known for the enterprises. But when you're talking about small businesses, I still run into small businesses that say, I'm I'm too small. Why are they're not going to come after me? Or I'm I'm too insignificant? Or what possible what information could they possibly have? Or could I possibly have that they they would that they would want? They don't understand that they're at an equal risk. Um, and because they're the low hanging fruit, so to speak, they don't they don't realize that that they're an easier target. They're the soft target, right? And and so um, getting them to understand that is kind of like half the battle. And then. Um, uh, you're taking taking it to, to from there. It's, it's understand. Okay, what where are your where are your key data sources? A lot of people don't even know that. Like you have data. It's, is it on your computer? Is it on your um, you know? Is it is it in the cloud? Is it in your SaaS provider? Are they backing it up? Are they are they protecting it? How do you, how can you confirm that they're protecting that? You know, all those types of questions. You start kind of what ifing it to death, and 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 almost like a disaster recovery exercise where you start asking those those types of questions. And, and really, I've I've found. A, a lot of parallels between cybersecurity readiness and disaster recovery readiness. So um, usually they kind of go in hand in hand, but um, does, that, does that answer your question? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I think that actually brings a conversation to a really um, awesome kind of pivot here. It just is really nice and sequential since we're talking about risk management. And as we talk about risk management, I love that you focused on, Hey, you're still a target, even if you, don't realize that you're, you know, a brand name or you're not, you know, the the largest in net revenue. I don't know, you right? You always think that you're less of a player here. And so when we talk about disaster recovery, putting forth the right resources towards your risk management, disaster recovery planning, all of these uh, priorities, right? I, I'm sure for small businesses in particular, it's hard to prioritize all of these efforts. Um, and I know that you mentioned it earlier too. The hardest part about all of this is is getting the, the business owners and the key stakeholders to be aware that they need to do these things and why they need to do these things. So before uh, before we continue any further, I, I want to see if you have any advice for how to make that click. <laughs> well, uh, there's you know as they always say after uh, after a hurricane or an earthquake or something like that, they say the best time to sell disaster recovery is right after the disaster because it's fresh in people's minds. So when you see the you know, the breach du jour that we're dealing with uh, this year, this, you know, 2021 has obviously been a, a rough year for, for cyber, cyber security, cyber crime issues. Um, you know, we, we had the, you know, unfortunately we had like the colonial pipeline incident back in, uh, uh, was it May or whenever it was uh, earlier this year, you know, we had the Kaseya breach and we've had the solar winds breach. We've had all these different, you know, major supply chain or, or major breaches. And you have to look at them and say, look, 
these these are major events and um, when I look at them, I say these were these are potentially things that could have been prevented, and they could have happened to you just as easily. So I demonstrate that to uh, to my uh, end users, uh, my my prospects and clients. So, so usually saying, hey, you know, you could have a weak password that could get compromised, and they could have the run of your network. You know, they you could have um, you know you could have unpatched uh, servers that you are that you don't even know that that server still is running. It's sitting in a closet or sitting at the cloud, uh, your, your colo provider or something like that. And you haven't patched that computer in three years. Well, now it's, now it's an easy target for the latest, uh, you know, uh, vulnerability that's out there. So, so, and it has total wide access to your network. So, you know, are you thinking about those types of things? And those are the, those are the things that I, I get people to start thinking about. And I, I say, I start asking them by, by saying, do you have, um, like I'll say, where's your list of all your all your uh, your servers and your assets? And and they said, well, I don't have one. I'm like, okay, well, how do you know that you're patching all those computers? Well, we don't patch them because we're afraid that if we patch a computer, it's going to break our you know our application or something like that. Okay, well, you know, this is kind of going down the rabbit hole, and, and we're seeing all these these different challenges. And, I, and I'm pointing out all the risk areas that, that they could have, and they're like, oh, that's that's a problem. You know, um, this is a similar problem. You know, when we talk about information technology versus operational technology. We see a lot of this going on in the operational technology world where you're, you know, running uh, factory floors and supply, you know, supply chain systems and um, power plants and, and, you know, other, other types of things like that. The operational technology has been historically um, detached or, you know, air gapped from the, from the rest of the, uh, from the internet, but now it's getting tied in, but they haven't been patching those servers. They haven't been maintaining any of that equipment the same way that you would in a, in a interconnected IT environment. And so those types of um, risks are, are, are major, but they also affect, you know, traditional IT environments as much as they do affect the, the operational technology environment. So uh, sorry for a long winded answer, but I <laughs> think that, uh, I loved it. No, that was great. And I want to I want to touch on the the d- disaster recovery portion a little bit more deep dive into that uh, because we are seeing a lot more uh, breaches out there. I think it's twofold. I think adversaries are getting a little bit smarter and wiser, but I also think we're broadcasting and talking about it more and more, which is good because then if we know that there's a problem, that's the first sign of us being able to fix it. But from a disaster recovery perspective, are there any trends that you've noticed on the size of the business and how it's impacted how they can perform their disaster recovery planning and testing? And can you elaborate here at all? So a lot of businesses are... So let me start with the smaller business. Small businesses still are not doing even the basics, like backing up your data. It's like that's a table stakes thing, guys. You got to back up your data, and and knowing where your data is. That that's still an issue with with larger enterprises as well as knowing where your data lives. Uh, your data is the lifeblood of your business. If you don't know where your data is, um, you know, you're 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 in a, you're going to be in a bad spot when when things go down. You can replace a server, you can replace um, you know computer equipment, um, but you cannot replace data is what it comes down to. So, so that's, I always say, protect the data, protect the data, protect the data. Um, you know, in terms of uh, other things that businesses are doing, when you go up market, even like even mid-sized enterprises or, or like uh, large enterprises, things like, uh, you know, building resiliency into your infrastructure. So things like, um, uh, you know, Geoloc- or geo redundancy in your, in your, uh, in your infrastructure. So you have a cloud uh, environment in, 
you know, Virginia, let's just say, and then you have a cloud environment in Ohio. So you, you have two different locations serving the exact same data. You can uh, do things, obviously, uh, simple things like uh, have RAID in your uh, in your server. I mean, you can do things like that. You can build, um, you know, uh, you know, lab environments versus testing environments and UAT environments and production environments. So you can make sure that things are working um, the way that they should along the way, instead of just rolling out patches to your production environment and then seeing it break your entire application and having an emergency on your hands. The whole point of um, re resiliency is to avoid an emergency. And, and the same thing with disaster recovery is when the emergency happens, how do you handle that? And uh, to an uh, hopefully answer your question, um, the way I always tell people is like, look, you need to have a plan. And having a plan does not mean having even a 50-page document. I've seen plenty of those. They, they're nice. They're great. Everybody pats themselves on the shoulder. They put that up on the shelf, and then they never look at it again, right? Where I, I say, okay, look, you're a, like especially small businesses, even mid-sized businesses. You can look at those and say, look, you just need a, a couple-page document that says, here's where your data lives. Here's your key, here's your list of your key trusted suppliers and vendors and supply chains. And here's the procedure that you will you will take, uh, usually in a checklist format, when an emergency happens. And here's who you're going to get on on the call with, and um, and here's how you're going to communicate to in, internally and externally about the event. Um, oh, and here's here's who's the incident commander during that event. I mean, it, you do those things, and and that is like 98% of every disaster recovery uh, plan that I've ever seen. And it just watered down to the key core facts is keep it simple. It's, when you're in a disaster, when look, I'll give you an example. Um, when you're, uh, I, I read the book um, uh, that was called The Checklist Manifesto. It was uh, by a doctor uh, from the World Health Organization. He actually um, went and studied how complex um, tasks or by professionals were done were handled. And so one of the things he said was, okay, look, let's look at pilots. When you're flying a plane and you have uh, like, um, what's his name? Sully had there in New York a few years ago. He had that double bird strike. Well, there's an emergency immediately. What do you do? The first thing you do is you pull out your checklist and step one says, fly the plane. It's, it's, you know, it's meant to calm you. And step, step two, you know, it's, you know, do all the things that you're supposed to do, you know, when you're flying a plane, I've never flown a plane, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know what those things are. But point is, is that they have a checklist and they follow that step. And, and, you know, when you're dealing with an emergency, a disaster, uh, any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of unplanned incident, you should have a checklist that you follow uh, to, to handle that. And, and that's all you need. Really from there, it's just make sure you have access to your lists and your, you know, your vendor lists and your, your suppliers and such so that you know who to, who to call and who to, you know, who to interact with when you have an emergency so that you can get the problem solved. Oh, and, and have backups. <laughs> yeah, and have backups. And don't have single points of failures for individuals yeah. who know where that checklist is. I love that one. Well, Bob has the checklist. Well, Bob's on leave, maternity leave for the next six months. Oh, exactly. Anybody yeah. know where Bob keeps it? I, I call it, Jax, I call that the single point of success, not the single point of failure. <laughs> because they're the only person that can make it successful. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great way of looking at it. Oh, my gosh, John. Well, this has been an amazing episode. We could talk for so much much longer and might need to just bring you back on the show and dive into risk management. And I know Erica would love that. Um, but we are at the end. So before we hop off, I know some of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you either to just contact you, pick your brain, work with your company, uh, maybe even pick up your book. So what is the best way for them to be able to contact you? Sure. Um, well, best way to get a hold of me, um, 
I always tell people I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, so that's the first place you can go. Um, you know, Jonathan Arena on LinkedIn. Uh, you, you can find me there pretty easily. And uh, aside from that, uh, my email, John at, as J-O-N, at whiteclaytechnology.com. And obviously my website is whiteclaytechnology.com. Um, yeah, those are probably the best ways to get hold of me. So. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, you guys heard it here. John, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. This has been amazing. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's it's great to uh, be on here and I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Awesome. Thanks, John. We'll see you next time. All right. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hackers and Hacks End Podcast with Erica, Jax, and John. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.